0: Everyone, you're going to need a Bible, and this is when you take your phones and you put them on silent, but if you want to use your phone, that's fine, put them on silent though. Let's set this aside for the Lord. And some of you, like John is always, John's probably going to grab a Bible, so sometimes you hear some people talking, they're actually translating a lot of the times, so if you ever wonder like what they're doing, I remember the first few times I heard them, like, what are they doing? They're actually translating for the people next to them, because we have quite a few people here and there that speak different languages, so... So everyone's got a Bible. You're going to need them. So as I think almost all of you, but there's some new faces. As you know, we are walking alongside Jesus and the disciples going through the gospels in chronological order. So we started this journey here at this fellowship about eight months ago, which is amazing. So each week we continue in one of the gospels to learn about Jesus and the disciples as the story took place. I don't know if you know, but there's about 250 different stories in the Gospels, if you look at it. Um, You know, sometimes one story is shared by all four Gospels, Some's individual, but there's about 250 different stories. And today we're going to look at three different stories out of that 250. We're going to be in the book of Mark, but we will also reference... Matthew's account and Luke's account of the stories that we'll be looking at today because that really helps us have a better understanding or a different view of these stories as they take place. Now if you were to number all of these stories you know starting with John 1 1 would be number one actually in the beginning there's we are currently today going to be on the 48th 49th and 50th story they're both they're all very short today but it's interesting when you look at that 250 stories And we're going to be on three of them today. And we're going to be 48, 49, and 50. So it's kind of interesting. So looking forward also, I'm kind of excited. Chris and I were looking at this. So next week, we're going to look at the story of Jesus and the 12 disciples. That's neat. Then the week after, we'll see the Beatitudes. That's exciting. So after these lessons we look at, it's interesting. We'll actually end up being mainly in Matthew for quite a while. And he's the only writer that's included several of the lessons or the stories that's up and coming. And I'm really excited because these stories are very, very important. They're about anger. They're about lust. They're about divorce. They're about vows. They're about revenge. They're about loving your enemy. There's even one about money. So these next several months, I think, is going to be really enjoyable to teach through. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. I'm really excited, actually. Because Jesus has really been very adamant in these last many weeks about establishing who he is. And we're going to continue that this week. And then it's going to start to transition kind of into a new set of teachings. Now with some lessons. So the last few weeks, we were in John chapter 5, breaking the rules. We had part 1 and part 2. And I asked many questions as I taught. Do you remember, who remembers, you think about some of the questions that I asked. Just think about these questions. And I'm going to continue, but I'm going to come back to it. So we learned about the healing of the lame man on the Sabbath, which broke the rules. But Jesus not only broke these rules of healing the man on the Sabbath, we remember that he also, he claimed to be equal with God. So Jesus then After this, he explained to these religious leaders that, in fact, he and God are one, and that salvation was through faith in him, and that he had the authority. Remember that teaching? Then Jesus proceeded to give these four different witnesses. Remember them? John the Baptist, God the Father, his works and teachings, miracles, and then, of course, the Word of God. So in the end after Jesus went through this, really rebuking these guys, he told them that if they really believed in Moses, and they believed in the teachings and the writings of Moses, that they would believe in him. So Jesus and the disciples, then they had left, and they had gone you know, out of the area or a different village. We're not really sure, but now he was continuing to move on and teach and perform more miracles. So again, that takes me back to my question. I asked at the beginning of the message a question last week. Do you remember? I asked you all, I'll give a quote. Do we have the grace, I added mercy, from God to break man-made rules to be obedient to the word of God? I'll read it again. Do we have the grace and mercy from God to break man-made rules so to be obedient to the word of God? That's why I started last week's message. At the end of the message, I asked you another question about witnesses. We looked at four witnesses, but I kind of brought up maybe a fifth witness, didn't I? I asked about each of you. How will the lost around you know that Jesus loves them? What about your witness, your testimony? These are some of the questions I asked. Now, I pray, and I do pray That each of you, including myself, have been obedient to God's word this week. And that each of us have been testifying Jesus' love to all those around us. Today, we are taking communion. It's the first Sunday of the month. So, as we go through the word, I also ask that each of you pray. Even as I teach through the word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to each of us personally... If there's any part of our walk as a Christian that needs attention, has any sin crept into your life? It happens to me, and it, it creep is the word I use because it like creeps in, like, and then it builds. What about each of your relationships with others, with your spouses, with your kids, with anyone? Next one I ask as we get ready to take communion later on: Have you each been obedient? To the Word of God. I think it's an important one. Last one I'm going to ask you to keep thinking about in your mind and praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you is how is your personal relationship with God? Because maybe we could do all this oh, my relationship with my wife is good, I'm going out, this but what about your personal time with God? How is your relationship personally with God? So as we go through the message today, please examine these things in your heart. If any repentance is needed or forgiveness, On your part is needed. I just pray right now that you would just take care of that right now. I say that common when it's communion. Take care of it right now. If you need to leave and go out there and make a phone call, if you and your spouse are having some issue, you need to go out there, take care of it, resolve it. We're going to take communion together. If you've got uh, some sin, uh, you just need to pray quietly, pray. Let's take care of this because we're going to take communion. And it's important that we examine our lives before we do that. So let's get into the main message here. It's we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 3, verse 12. Some of your Bibles, I think uh, New King James especially, mine doesn't actually, has different headings. And there's three stories here. And in each of the three stories, we're going to break it into three parts. So that's kind of convenient. So nine different parts. And, you know, when I was taught to study scripture, I was told, like, scripture is like an apple. It's very good for you right? But if you try to take a whole apple sometimes, you you take it bite by bite and it's very nourishing and it's very good. But you take it bite by bite. And so that's the way we're going to look at the scripture today. Piece by piece, and we're going to digest the entire section of these three stories. So we're going to learn a little bit more today about the purpose of the Sabbath. Let's begin. Mark chapter 2 verse 23 and 24. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? You know, as I read this, I don't know how many of you can imagine, but you know, rice is kind of similar, actually. I mean, the the heads of the rice. I can see this in my mind, this story taking place very vividly. You know, one Sabbath day, so one Saturday for us, you know, or them, Jesus and the disciples, right, they had left the previous place. They're walking along. They're all together. They're walking to the synagogue, as we read on. And Jesus is going to teach at the synagogue. And as they're walking, there's these fields of wheat. They're growing tall. They obviously, if they picked them off and did what they did, they must have been tall. Uh, I imagine these, you know, waving in the wind, like we see the rice fields. It must be a pretty serene, beautiful picture Then the disciples, as they're walking, they're grabbing the heads. They're taking them. They take them between their hands, right? And you run them. I've done this. And then you get all the chaff off and kind of put it up. Then you have all these seeds or the wheat kernels. I don't know how you want to call it. And then you take them and pop them in your mouth, chew them and eat them. I've done this. I think maybe some of you have done it. Um, If maybe not wheat, maybe rice. I've done it with wheat. It would take a lot of effort to get full doing this. It would take a lot of effort, but I'm sure as they walked, and it says they were hungry, I'm sure as they walked, it kind of kept them busy. It's kind of like something to do. I mean, they're just reaching out, grabbing it, doing it, eating, kept their minds off probably that they were actually hungry. So you can imagine this taking place. I mean, it's a very easy verse kind of picture in your mind. So as you have that picture, I want you to turn back in your Bible. We're going to go all the way back to Exodus, chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, Ten Commandments. Verse 8, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, there's a lot of other scriptures that address this very directly. I'm not going to look at them all. But it talks about this, that they were not to harvest on the Sabbath. So we know this. But And then as we read this verse, we see in the last part as uh Verse 24, these Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're accusing them of breaking this commandment of harvesting wheat on the Sabbath. You know, breaking off the heads of wheat as they're walking by, you know, it was actually, if you want to get into it, there's other verses that say there's actually parts of this that was allowed. But whatever the case is, these Pharisees are accusing the disciples of breaking the law. So let's look at the response that Jesus is going to tell them in verses 20, back in Mark chapter 2 verses 25 through 26. So Jesus is going to respond back to these Pharisees as they're accusing the disciples of breaking the law. Verse 25. Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read the scriptures? What David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abathar, was high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. So this story of David, uh, you can look back if you want and write it down. It's in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. So David, we know, I think most of us are familiar with this story. David was fleeing from Saul, and he needed food for himself. They were hungry, and his men. So he came to this priest, and he asked for food. And then in this story you read, there was no food. But there was none except the holy bread or the bread of presence. Now, it had been, this bread was there and it had been placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. So, this priest, he gave David the bread and his men the bread that should have only been eaten by the priest as the law prescribed. But David and his men, they ate it. So, this may have, this broke the law technically, didn't it? I mean, it did break the law. But I believe the heart behind this when we have to look at the law, so often I think what Jesus... After, we have to look at the heart behind it. Why is it there? So the heart behind breaking this law was to feed David and his men who are hungry. So we see, we know that God gave grace and mercy in this very event of breaking the law. Now, if we read Mark's account, and then we go to read First Samuel's account, and I was reading about this, some people... Unfortunately, I want to mention this because it is mentioned. Some people would say that these passages would contradict themselves. Because if you look there, you'll see the priest's name are different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm going to mention it. Now, so that makes you wonder, could have Jesus misspoke? No, Jesus did not misspeak. Be very clear of that, absolutely not. As you look at it, there's many commentaries that would justify it or explain it in many different ways. But I like the way Warren Worsby, what he says. And he says basically what he's saying. We know Jesus' words are true. So though he used a different name, what's likely, and it's possible, that the father and son each possibly had the same names. You know, like first and middle name or whatever the case was. And so when he's referring to them, Jesus had a lot more knowledge than even we have, of course. And so when he's referring to them, they easily could have both had the same names. And so just because it's referred to as one name in the Old Testament and a different name in the uh, New Testament, does not mean it's incorrect, or it's even, it, it's true. So Mark gives this story of David, we see in the New Testament, to explain the point of the Sabbath, to help us understand the heart behind the Sabbath. You know, it's interesting, as I was studying a little bit, there's been a lot of teachings lately, just in the last while about the Sabbath, and then also we've been in Genesis in a Bible study, so we're starting to learn a little bit about the Sabbath. And so, I mentioned earlier that we were going to reference some of the other Gospels. And this is one point where I want to turn back to Matthew's account to read a little bit more on this particular verse. Turn back to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verses 5 and 7. I'll read it. Here in Matthew's account, remember Matthew's writing directly to the Jewish people. Verse 5, And you haven't read the law of Moses, that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath. I tell you, There is no one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And what you start to see is the heart behind this. Now, what is freedom to me. It's freedom that we are given. You know, this this is a gift God has given, the Sabbath. It's a gift from God To us, the Sabbath, blessing each and every one of us. We're blessed by this gift from the Lord. So as you think about the Sabbath, as Jesus is talking about it here, as they're trying to accuse the disciples of breaking the Sabbath, what is the Sabbath? What is this gift that's been given to each one of us today? What is it? Think about that. I have another question. Who meets our needs today? Because second part of the question. I have another question about the Sabbath. Who is the Sabbath? jesus now it's jesus where we find rest today and he states fairly clearly he is the lord of the sabbath so as we know that today do each of us allow jesus to be our sabbath do we take rest in jesus and how do we each do that how do you take rest in jesus how do you observe the sabbath today as we think about that question i want to share a quote The Pharisees placed their laws above human need. They were so concerned about Jesus breaking one of their rules that they didn't care about the man's shriveled hand. What is your attitude toward others? If your convictions don't allow you to help certain people, those convictions may not be in tune with God's word. Don't allow rule-keeping to bind you to human need. We've learned a little bit, just touching on it, the purpose of the Sabbath. It's for rest. it's through Jesus Christ that we have today. It was made, the Sabbath was given to us to meet our needs, as Jesus was given to us to meet our needs. And we're going to learn even more about it in the next story. So what is truly lawful on the Sabbath? What is the heart of the Sabbath? Let's continue. Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at the next section. It's going to be the next six verses. We'll start with the first two. I'll start. Then Jesus said, "In the Sabbath was meant to meet the needs of the people, and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, chapter 3. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath so as this story now is continuing it seems to you know there, there's a chapter break there right chapter 2 to chapter 3 but really what we see is I believe here is we're still continuing this and Jesus and the disciple have now arrived at the synagogue and it is still the Sabbath so remember as they walked these Pharisees had come up right they're accusing the disciples of breaking the Sabbath by breaking off the heads of grain and then they had questioned Jesus. Now, I believe these are probably some of the same men now, have gone into the synagogue, and now they're there with him. But now Jesus refers to these men a little differently, doesn't he? Before, as the Pharisees. Now, but what's, what's he call them now? He says, Jesus' enemies watched him closely, and then I also think he calls them the accusers, is what they are now. Jesus and the disciple, they're there, they're in the synagogue. They're there to worship. Jesus, we know he probably would be teaching. And if you look at Luke's account, it actually says that he was teaching. So this, think about this synagogue. It's a place that is set apart specifically for worshiping God. Now, these men had watched Jesus. They were watching him. It was a setup. I think they were really expecting him, out of his compassion, to see this man. And they were expecting him to heal him because they knew he was compassionate. They were going to use, they were hoping that Jesus would perform a miracle to heal this man and then condemn him for doing it. It's, it's wicked. It really is wicked. Jesus knew this. You know, he knew. He knew what was going on. And he knew what was on these, these, these as he says, enemies, these Pharisees' minds, what was on their hearts. And we know that he taught, if we look at Luke's account, you can imagine the lesson that Jesus taught before he did all this. We don't have it recorded. But you know he was in the synagogue. He was teaching. You imagine the lesson he taught as they're all standing around, watching him, waiting to see if he's going to heal this man. So what will Jesus do, knowing all this that's going on? Look at verses 3 through 4. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to the critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. I think as I read this passage, really, Jesus is not just questioning them, but he's questioning all of us. It's really an examination that each of us have to look at our own hearts. And he presents this question to all of them very openly in the synagogue, publicly, before everyone on the Sabbath. It'd be like if I just did it right here, right? It was just like a church? Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this the day to save life or destroy it? They couldn't answer Jesus, could they, without judging themselves? Because if they answered, they would judge and, and condemn themselves. But Jesus, I believe, is really rebuking them, and any of us, possibly, Asking the question, you know, why are we even here? Are you more concerned with your preconceived notions of how ministry is done? Or does your heart break for the lost? Or are you so busy judging others that you would ignore the grace and mercy that Jesus has poured out on you in your life? He asked them very blank. He asked them, are your days filled with saving lives or destroying others? Matthew even expounds more on this. Turn back to Matthew again, chapter 12, in verses 11 and 12. He gives another story. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus is very, very clear that saving lives is always to be on our heart in every part as us as a Christian, no matter where we are or what day it is. So Jesus has a lot more he wants to say to them. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. That's back in Mark chapter 3. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the support of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So as this story is taking place, now we see that Jesus has experienced anger and sadness. And it's interesting, I looked at a lot of different translations. I looked this up in the Greek. I looked, like, anger. I was like, is this really Jesus experiencing anger? And I looked it up and it's Jesus experiencing anger. I looked it up in all the different, all the way back. And yet we know Jesus was sinless. The perfect sacrifice. And yet this passage states very clearly that Jesus, looking around at them in anger, was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Jesus had what I would consider to be righteous anger. Now, I don't know if I'm even capable of doing that. I really don't know. I I can define it and tell you righteous anger will definitely be... I don't know if it's possible for me. Maybe some of you. I'm not sure. But what would lead Jesus to have righteous anger? It was sin. It was anger against the sin. These men had such pride in their hearts that they were trying to use Jesus' compassion to heal this man as a plot to kill him. Jesus was grieved... He's grieved with sadness, seeing this unfold before him. Now, did Jesus react in anger? No, Jesus did not react in anger. Jesus, in fact, then, as we know the passage, he restored the man. Then, these men, after seeing all of this, they went and they gathered support, trying to plan to assassinate Jesus. I'd like to read a quote from Chuck Smith concerning this passage. Jesus said to him, Stretch forth your hand. It's impossible. The man knew it was impossible. Jesus knew it was impossible when he told him to do it. And because it was impossible, the man can do one of two things. He can either argue with Jesus and tell him he can't, and tell him why he can't, and tell him how many times he's tried and failed, and tell him of all his past failures. Rehearse his life story of failure. Or... He can obey Jesus and stretch forth his hand. He had a choice. came to faith. Jesus, then in this story, he continues to heal the sick. And he's now very publicly, very publicly performed this miracle right after rebuking these religious leaders for their hardened hearts. So let's continue in our third story for today, which all ties together. It's going to be Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7 and 8. Jesus went out to the lake with the disciples, and a large crowd followed him. Then they came, they came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and Media, and from east of Jordan River, and even far north of Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. So now many people have followed after Jesus for, I'm sure, many different reasons. Jesus very publicly had just performed several miracles as we look back in the text. Some, I'm sure, came maybe to seek the truth of who Jesus is. Was he the Messiah? Some, I'm sure, sought Jesus for some other selfish reason or maybe just for a healing or to witness a miracle. But Jesus and the disciples have now left as these religious leaders were plotting to kill him. So Jesus, as he left... We know the story tells us he was followed by a great multitude of people, all seeking something from Jesus. What's interesting is you read this passage, it's actually a fulfillment of Scripture, or a fulfillment of prophecy. And Matthew talks about it in Matthew, back in Matthew's account in chapter 12, in verses 15 through 21. And we don't have to read the whole thing, but I think it's amazing... As you can turn back then, you can see this from actually Isaiah. I think it's I don't have a reference. I think it's forty two, one through five, I think, if my memory serves me right. But it's amazing as I read the Bible, and I read the story of Jesus and the disciples, and it's amazing that I see just a testimony of Jesus filling these scriptures. Because it really helps me with my faith. I just know. So, I don't know, I, I just find it amazing as we see this, as we read in the Gospels, that Jesus is continually, as we talked about last week, fulfilling these prophecies that are written about. So, Jesus, again, as he's seeing these people come to him, he knows the real reason for their coming. He knows their hearts, but we read he still he healed many people, we read. So, Jesus, for me, and I, this, this little story here, he shows all of us an example, doesn't he? He knew he looked into the eyes of each of these people that were seeking Jesus, and most of them all for the wrong reasons. And they were coming to him, and Jesus healed them. He healed the sick. Many of these same people that were looking at Jesus, seeking Jesus, many of the same, even possible ones that he was healing, would be the same people, and he knew that he would crucify him later. Yet, he still healed them. He still ministered to them. Because Jesus had a heart to serve, knowing the cost. So let's finish today's text with 11 and 12. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. You know, we're doing this study on spiritual warfare on Wednesdays. And passages like this are really encouraging because they remind me of who Jesus is. And who I am. These demons. As they saw Jesus. Their only response here. It says. Throws them to the ground. In front of them. Shrieking. You are son of God. They were powerless. Except just screaming. You are the son of God. That was their, only, that was their response. So we see in this passage. That Jesus has the authority. And he commands then. The demons to be Quiet. As they're acknowledging who he is, they're in front of everyone, he commands them to be quiet. Because Jesus was not yet ready to fully reveal who he was. He would reveal who he was in his plan, with his plan and his timing. I don't know. I, rem- you know, I find it encouraging because Jesus has the power there, and you see that. So we looked at three different stories today. And I think from each different story, we can glean or learn some different lessons. The first story we see, is the Son of Man is over the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is given to each one of us. And Jesus is our Sabbath. So I asked, are you finding rest in Jesus? Are you finding rest in the Sabbath? And how are you doing this? And how often? In the second story, I saw what I consider maybe the heart more behind the Sabbath. Does the law permit good deeds on the sabbath or his word does is it a day for doing evil as jesus said is it a day to save life or destroy it jesus says so what each one of us you know i don't know about you guys but i definitely had a kind of tendency to go kind of more legalistic but what is our heart behind following the sabbath is it a heart to serve as jesus shows here or is it maybe something else In the third story, I saw Jesus' heart to serve. Many people sought Jesus out when they followed him. Many different reasons people were looking towards Jesus. Yet, Jesus still healed them. You know, we still face this today in church. You know, lots of people come to church for lots of different reasons. But we follow Jesus' example. He ministered to them all. So to summarize these three stories as I look at these, I'd like to end with a quote and then... Christian is going to lead us in communion. So as we prepare our hearts to take communion, I've asked you that throughout the service, I want you to look at this quote with me. The quote is, Are you more concerned with opposing certain sins and cultural movements or in advancing the kingdom of God and proclaiming His love for men and women? This really spoke to me as I read that quote because I'll tell you, this really spoke to me, because I, I'm really good at picking out other people's things. Oh, they do this, or they do that, or they have this movement, or that movement. Instead of truly, truly just having a heart to serve like Christ did, and just advancing the kingdom. I don't know why I have a tendency to do this, but I definitely do. I'm going to pray, and Christian is going to come up. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this message as we look at these three different stories, Lord. As we learn a little bit more today... Who you are and what the Sabbath is, and how we can find rest in you, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray that each one of us, as we uh, we look to this, Lord, that we would uh, we look to the Sabbath. We wonder, like, what what is Sundays now? Is it you know? Is we know the Sabbath was on Saturday, but now we observe on Sunday. Um, we look at all the different things people suggest. What do you do on Sundays? Can you do this or not do that, Lord? We'd remember the truth behind it is. We get our rest through you, Lord, and our relationship in Jesus, Lord. And you provide that for each of us, each and every day, Lord. We can seek you and find that peace and that grace and mercy that can be found through you. So, Lord, I just pray each one of us would continue to just come before you in a relationship and come to know you more and more and experience that Sabbath, that peace, that rest that can come through a relationship with you and faith in you, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as we observe communion, and we just do this in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.